Good morning, faith family. I want to say hello to those gathered in Lakeville and in our sanctuary service. Invite all of you, if you would, to please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that's where we're going to be uh, this morning in our passage. I hope everybody had a good Christmas. Are you everybody recovered? No, <laughs> obviously. Uh, so Christmas is behind us. We're excited about a new year. Uh, we're in kind of an in-between weekend uh, here at our faith family, uh, again, with Christmas behind us. And we're not quite ready to get back into Hebrews. Uh, Lord willing, we'll do that next week. We'll get back into the series that we left off about the beginning of, of December. So this morning, uh, it's my desire just to share with you a word that God has put on my heart that I hope will be a tremendous encouragement to you as we end a year and get ready for a new year, uh, that this will be a passage that will just be a tremendous source of hope for you and strength for you. In fact, I don't typically ask you to take notes. I usually leave that up to you. But this is kind of one of those mornings that I would strongly encourage you to jot some things down and to keep with you as you face things in 2019 so that you'll have the truth of God's word that we're going to talk about this morning uh, with you and ready. I, I really believe this will be something that will encourage you this morning. First Corinthians chapter 10, uh, just going to look at a few verses here. I really don't intend to preach that long. I know you don't believe that, but I really don't intend. In fact, I don't know what's going on with me. Last weekend, Christmas Eve, these have been shorter sermons. Um, maybe it's a new year, a new thing. We'll see. Don't get used to it. First uh, Corinthians chapter 10. If you're able to stand in all of our locations, would you please do so as we look here uh, at uh, beginning at verse 12 down through verse 14. The Apostle Paul is writing these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation or trial has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation or trial, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. This is the word of God. Would you pray for me and with me, and let's ask God to come and speak to us through his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to be together, um, the gathering of your people. It's central to our life. It's central to the life of a church. In moments like this, we've been able to sing and worship and worship in a variety of ways, but we believe because your word teaches that this is a moment when you declare to us your word, not because of the messenger but because of your word that you have given to us, breathed out for us. So God, help me be faithful to it, so that thus saith the Lord might ring in our ears and in our hearts today. We pray it in Christ's name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Please be seated. If you could write a letter today to yourself at age 17, what would you say? If you could write a letter today to yourself when you were 17, what would you tell yourself? That's the idea or scenario behind one of my favorite Brad Paisley songs. Oh no, here we go, country music, all right? 
It's a song that's entitled Letter to Me. And the song is about how often we can get caught up in our present situation. How sometimes we're in a a present dilemma and it just feels like it's never going to pass. It's never going to change. It's never going to get better. And yet, several years down the road, several years later, we're able to look back at that situation that we thought we'd never get out of, never pass, and yet see that we actually made it through. In the song, Paisley writes, quote, if I could write a letter to me and send it back to myself at 17, I'd say I know it's tough when you break up after seven months. I know you really liked her, and it doesn't seem fair, but all I can say is pain like that is fast, and it's rare. And oh, you've got so much going for you, going right, but I know at 17, it's hard to see past Friday night. But you'll make it through, and you'll see that you're still around to write this letter to me. My guess is there are many people here today that know exactly what that situation is like. To be caught in a present situation that's so heavy and so difficult and so complicated and so challenging that it feels like we'll never get out of it. For some of you, it's not a 17-year-old breakup. For some of you, it is a financial debt that you feel like you will never be able to pay off. For some of you, it's a loneliness that you're convinced will never end. For some of you, and I've been there, it's a degree that you feel like you're never going to actually achieve. For some of you, it's a physical pain that you feel like will never go away. For some of you, a relationship that may never be what you want it to be, or a freedom that will never be yours. I mean, whatever it is, my guess is there's a situation that you've gone through or are going through where you felt like you're never going to get out of this. It's never going to pass. You can't see past Friday night. That, faith family, is exactly the situation that these Christians in Corinth are going through, and Paul writes a letter to them. And he addresses this situation. He addresses the the, the weightiness that they're having to carry, the difficulties that they're going through, and it's both external and internal. You with me? Externally, the weight and pressure that these Christians in Corinth are having to face is they're living in Corinth. Uh, Corinth was one of the leading intellectual centers of the Roman Empire. You notice it here is a great place of trade and a lot of ideas that came together, making it a place of, of human philosophy and debate. Uh, that's why, by the way, Paul starts the letter the way he does. He says, I, I don't come to you with lofty speech. I don't come to you with human wisdom. I come to you with a cross. And the foolishness of the, to the world is the wisdom of God, and the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. I don't come to you with human philosophy. Not only that, it was difficult living in Corinth because Epaphrodite made her location there. She's the sex goddess. So there was all kinds of sexual immorality taking place there in Corinth. It was a very difficult situation to live in. 
not just external pressures, there was internal pressures building within this church at Corinth. Uh, They were fighting about a variety of things. Now, back then, churches used to fight. It doesn't happen so much anymore. But way back then, that kind of thing happened. And there was all these divisions in the church. You got some saying, well, I'm of Apollos. No, 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 but I, I, I think Paul's a better preacher. And this division began to happen. Or, or you would have people saying, well, I've got a better spiritual gift than you. I can speak in tongues. Well, big deal. I can prophesy. Well, I, I can teach. And they began to fight as to who had the better gift. Some were fighting over whether or not you could eat meat. Some said, I'm free to eat meat. And others said, no, you can't. That meat was offered to an idol. You shouldn't do that. And so they're fighting over whether or not you can eat meat, a fight that has never happened in churches in the South. Okay? I can testify to that, okay? And you've got some saying, well, I think I have such a better status than you. I should have, you know, like front place in the line at the Lord's table. And on and on and on they were fighting. The present situation they were in was heavy, externally and internally, to the point that they're about to crumble, they're about to collapse, or the language of this chapter is about to fall. And of course, Paul says here, you're not the first to experience this. We're not going to go back through all verses 1 through 11 in this passage, but he gives them an example of Israel in the wilderness. And he says, listen, Corinthians, you're not the first to get caught up in your present situation. The problem is if you get caught up in your present situation, you may fall and rebel. That's what Israel did. Remember, they were consumed with giants, consumed with when is Moses going to come back, uh, consumed with where will our, our next meal be. They were obsessed in the present. And what happened? They rebelled. And Paul is concerned that the same thing might happen to them. They, they might crumble under the pressure, crumble under the weight. And so he writes to them now in verse 12. You ready? That's all the context to say. Here is how you can remain faithful when your presence seems impossible. Does that sound like good news to anybody? Does that sound like something you might need in 2019? 2018 and even what's left of it. How do you remain faithful when you can't see past Friday night? Here's the first thing. you got to have a certain perspective. There's a perspective that you have to keep when you go through trials and temptations, when life is heavy. Pick it up at verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Anyone who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. So here's the first part of the perspective you got to have when life gets heavy and difficult is whatever you do, don't overestimate your abilities. Don't overestimate your abilities. You're not strong enough to stand against the pressures that you're going through. So take heed lest you fall. In other words, Paul is basically saying, Corinthians, if it happened to Israel, it can happen to you. Berean, If it can happen to Israel, and if it could potentially happen to the Corinthians, it can happen to you. The the worst thing you can do when you go through heaviness of life, when your present situation is difficult, is think you have the ability to solve it. And isn't that one of the most common ways that we respond? We tend to look to our own willpower. I've been a Christian for 20 years 
I'm a hard worker. I graduated from the school of hard knocks. I made straight A's. I drive a Dodge Stratus or whatever it is that you might say gives you some sense of strength and ability to get through it on your own. But faith family, I love you. Do it yourself. It's fine if you want to remodel a bathroom or fix a car. It's a terrible way to approach the Christian life. Do it yourself is a terrible way to approach the Christian life because the Christian life is not a do it yourself relationship. You are not as strong as you think you are. And that is what got Israel in the problem in the first place. I mean, their whole, come on, come on, come on, their whole issue, remember when they're facing the giants? Their whole issue is can we defeat them? That's not the question. The question is has God given you the land? But they're basing everything off of whether or not they have the ability or strength to do it. And if they don't, they go back. If they do, they move forward. But that's the wrong basis. You see, they have fallen into this sense that based on their past success, they think they're strong enough. After all, they got out of Egypt. After all, they walked through the sea. They defeated the Egyptian armies. And what happened after that? 40 years of wandering in the wilderness because they stopped trusting God and they started relying on self. Notice this on the screen. Self-confidence in the Christian life results in carelessness in the Christian life. Everybody with me this morning? Man, when you're going through a present situation when you can't see past Friday night and it feels like it's never going to end, the worst thing you can do is overestimate your ability. Number two, Second part of the perspective we got to have when we go through those trials is don't overstate your situation. Don't overstate your situation. Pick it up now in verse 13. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. Paul is basically saying, Corinthians, you're not facing anything new. That's why I'm giving you the example of Israel in the first place. This trial, this temptation, this difficulty that you're going through isn't new. And at first, that sounds really, really insensitive. I mean, it sound, imagine that, that uh, you find out that you've got cancer and uh, you tell somebody, like another Christian, that you've got cancer and their response is, oh yeah, well, a lot of people get cancer. Can I punch you in Jesus' name? Does that count? Like, that's not helpful for me at all. Like, that sounds really, really insensitive to what I'm going through. As if Paul is saying, yeah, it's just persecution. It's just loneliness. It's just heartbreak. It's just a medical emergency. I mean, suck it up, sissy. What are you crying for, you big baby? I mean, on the surface, that's kind of what it feels like. But Paul is not belittling their situation. Listen, listen, if you've zoned out, zone right back in because I want you to hear this. He's addressing the temptation we all have when the present situation feels heavy. And it's this, to justify our sin because you don't know what it's like to be me. Ha! If you knew how big those giants were, buddy... You'd know why we want to go back. Pastor, if you knew what it was like to live in Corinth, you'd understand why I... If you had to pastor a bunch of num-nums like I... I'm not speaking from experience, by the way, okay? If you have to pastor a church like I have to pastor... If you had to work at a place where I have to work... If you knew the addictive tendencies that run in my family... And on and on and on the excuses go... 
Notice it on the screen. The more unique you think your situation is, the more likely you'll rationalize your disobedience. Preach, preacher. The more unique you think your situation is, the more likely you'll rationalize your disobedience. So Paul says, no temptation or trial is overtaking you that is not common to man. Christian, when it comes to struggle, you're not special. You are following, after all, a man that was crucified. I'm not saying it isn't real. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. I'm not saying it's not difficult. Of course. I'm just saying it's not new. So don't let your temptation or trial become so unique in your mind that you rationalize and justify. Don't overstate your situation. Don't overestimate your abilities. And now thirdly, here's the part of the perspective that we have to have is don't, whatever you do, (laughs) I'm going to sit down for this one. Don't underestimate God. Don't underestimate God. I'm just, I'm just giving you what the text says. No temptation is overtaking you that's not common to man. Next phrase in verse 13. Why don't everybody, Lakeville Sanctuary, everybody say these three words with me. God is faithful. What are you doing, Corinthians? You overestimate your ability, you overstate your situation, and you're underestimating God. That's a recipe for falling every time. Don't forget that God is faithful. The problem with Israel, the problem with the Corinthians, the problem with I don't know me is that theologically I know God is bigger, but situationally it feels like my present is bigger. And I know better, but it just feels like in the moment that my circumstances are bigger than God. But what you have to remember is the God that got you out of Egypt will get you in the promised land. I don't care how many giants are in your way. I might just preach this morning. I'm getting fired up, all right? Forget that short sermon. Here we go, all right? I mean, that's the issue, Israel, is that you forgot that the one that got you out of Egypt said the promised land is yours. And he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same God that got you out of there. He'll get you in there. He is faithful. He's faithful. Notice this on the screen. Never let the size of your God be determined by the weight of your burden. Never let the size of your God be determined by the weight of your burden. So I don't know if you're in this situation right now where you can't see past Friday night. I don't know if that situation's coming for you, but when it happens, or if it's happening, here's the perspective you got to have. Don't overestimate you. Don't overstate the present. And whatever you do, don't underestimate God. Now he shifts in this passage to a promise that we hold on to as we face the present, the heaviness Here's the first thing. God permits. Let's, let's read it first, verse 13. God is faithful, and he, here it is, will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. So here's part of the promise, three parts of it, is that God permits the extent of your situation. 
God permits the extent or ordains, it doesn't matter theologically as far as I'm concerned, uh, the extent of your, here's the point. God is sovereign over the weight on your shoulders. God is sovereign over the weight on your shoulders. God is sovereign over the weight on your shoulders. In fact, one of, the, one of the perfect examples of this biblically is, remember Job? Job comes to God, and he, uh, uh, Satan comes to God, he wants to go after Job, and God says, uh, you can touch his health, but you can't kill him. In other words, let's be clear, Satan, I set the boundaries. I'm the one that's in control. I'm the one that says this far and no further. God is the one who is sovereign over the limits of our life. Some of you have seen this when you drive around or cross over a bridge. You'll notice one of those signs that tells you how much weight that bridge can hold. I don't know about you. I'm not sure that bridge can hold six tons, okay? I certainly wouldn't try that. But, but an engineer has studied the bridge and determined what the max load, the max limit is for that bridge to hold up. Point, Christian, God has put a weight limit sign over your life. And I know some of you would say, as Mother Teresa once said, quote, I know God won't give me more than I can handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. <laughs> Amen? You've been there. Now, I think we take this part of the passage out of context. And so, again, if you zoned out, zone back in, because I really want you to hear this. Uh, we tend to think that this is God will never give you what you don't have the strength to be able to handle. But that's ripping the phrase out of the context because what comes right before the promise is God is faithful. You say, what do you mean? Here's the point. It doesn't mean that the weight will not be more than your strength. It means that the weight will not be stronger than your spiritual resources. It doesn't mean that the weight is going to never outweigh the strength you have on your own. It's that you have a faithful God who's with you. Therefore, he will never bring into your life something you don't have the spiritual resources to be able to handle. He controls the extent of your situation. You can't handle it, but guess what? God's grace is sufficient. And his power is perfect in weakness. And God's people said, amen. amen. Secondly, some of you thought the sermon was over there. <laughs> Second part of the promise that's given in this passage that we can hold on to is that God provides an escape from your situation. God provides the escape from your situation. Again, I'm ripping it right off the Bible. Just keep reading. God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation or trial, that's the same word, he will also provide the way of escape. The, the Greek imagery here, I want to give you the, the, some of your visual learners the image of the Greek. Notice here on the screen. It's this imagery of an army that's been absolutely surrounded by an enemy. And it appears there's no way out. It appears that there's just nothing but defeat on the horizon. And yet, this little path, this little opening 
uh, happens where the, the army is able to get away and go to free. It's kind of like in a movie when somebody's running down a street and 150 people are chasing them and they just so happen to see this little alley that nobody else knows about and they run through it to safety. That's kind of the Greek imagery here in the passage. God is going to provide, Christian, a way of escape for you. Now, here's what you need to know, because I know what some of you are already thinking, which is quite scary. Escape rarely means physical removal. Escape rarely means physical removal. Let me just give you a few biblical examples. Right here, right here, Lakeville, Sanctuary, everybody. Does God save Noah from the flood or through the flood? It's through it. Uh, Israel, when they're standing there on the bank and the Egyptian armies are coming and they're looking at the water and it's like, what are we going to do? How are we going to get out of this? God doesn't like, poof, rapture them out. He takes them through the sea. You see, escape is not always physically being removed from your situation. It can be, but sometimes it may be giving you peace in your storm. Oh, that'll preach. Come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. It may not be taking you out of the storm. It may be giving you peace in the storm. But that's still a way of escape of freedom, even in the present situation. Here's the question, though. The question is, do you like your way of escape more than you like your disobedience? Oh, he didn't. Do you like the way of escape that God provides more than your disobedience? Let me give you an example. Uh, Pastor, my employer, my boss, told me that if I didn't lie on these forms, I'd be fired. So I just had to lie. Response, no, you chose employment over escape. God provided you a way out of working in that kind of situation. But you chose to stay employed more than obeying God. He provided it, you just didn't like it. That's the issue. God's promise of escape does not mean it won't be costly or uncomfortable, but it will be a way out nonetheless. He promises to give you escape, either through or in your situation. Here's the third piece of this promise that's so beautiful. It's that God promises endurance in your situation. God promises endurance in your situation. Again, next phrase. Everybody with me? That you may be able to endure it. You, you could have written this sermon, all right? It's just it's what the text says, that you may be able to endure it. Listen, right here, right here, right here. God will get you through. God will get you through. It's the beautiful doctrine and the perseverance of the saints, which I wholeheartedly believe the Bible teaches. God will persevere his people to the end. Let me throw some Bible at you. You ready? Philippians 1.6. I'm sure of this, that he that began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 5.10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder. I kept going. I persevered more than any of them, though it was not I. It was the grace of God that was with me. 
John 6, 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Christian, everybody right here, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, guess what you're going to get to? The last day. Not because of your amazing strength, but because God promises to persevere you to the end. Jesus said so. All that has been given to me, I will see to it that it is raised up on the last day. Jude, verse 24 and 25, you say, what chapter? You look it up. Remember when we were in Jude a few months ago? This is the ending of that great one-chapter book. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and we talked about that stumbling there is not like tripping and falling. It's an ultimate falling. It's an apostasy because that's the, that's the context of the book. To him who is able to keep you from ultimately falling away, from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Are you encouraged yet? If you're going through that now, or it happens in this new year, here's your perspective. Don't overestimate your ability. Don't overstate your situation. And whatever you do, don't underestimate God. And here's the promise that you can hold to as you face that. One, God permitted the extent of it. God will provide an escape from it, whether out of it or through it. And he promises that you will endure. Last piece in this passage is verse 14. It's a pattern to avoid. And I've got to be honest with you. I've been puzzled as to how this verse fits in the argument that Paul's making. Let's read it, okay? And, and, and I'll try to explain. Verse 14 says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And I, I want to read that and go, idolatry? What? <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? What does idolatry have to do with perseverance. I mean, I know you mentioned it earlier in the chapter, Paul, but I just don't quite see the connection. And then I believe by the illuminating spirit of God, I, I saw something. Let me just ask you a few questions. What's the number one cause of crashing under the weight of your circumstances? Why did Israel make golden calves when they grew impatient with God? Why did Israel want to go back to Egypt? Why are the Corinthians considering crumbling under the weight of their circumstances? Why were the Hebrews that we've been talking about, and we'll get back to hopefully next week, uh, why are they considering going back? Why do I have a tendency to give in to the weight that God has called me to carry? And here's the answer that I think connects with verse 14. You ready? Here it is on the screen. Because we're more concerned with the God of self than the glory of our Savior. In a word, idolatry. Faith family, most of the time, my motivation to get out of the heaviness, out of the situation, is the preservation of self, not the praise of my Savior. That will preach. 
My motivation most of the time to get out of my present situation is the preservation of self, not the praise of a savior. That's why I grumble. Do you want to know? In fact, he mentions this earlier in Israel. Look at the core of your complaints and ask yourself, is most of what I'm grumbling about focused on, I don't know, me? When do I get to eat again, God? You know, I had a lot better back in Egypt. What's the source of that? Comfortable life. Me, 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 not the glory of God. Here's a surefire way to crumble every time. Have other gods before him. Am I the only one here this morning? The way you crumble every time, Christian, under the heaviness of your circumstances is having other gods before him. But when, on the other hand, when your life is committed to the glory of Jesus, watch it on the screen, watch, 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 watch. The weight is always worth it. Now, some of you understand, keep it up there for just a moment. Some of you realize the play on words I just made with this. Because at the root of glory is weight. That is, if the weight in my life is meant to give weight to God, that is glory to Him as the God who perseveres His people through all kinds of floods, then the weight is worth it. Because I don't exist for the God of self. I exist for the glory of a Savior. And that keeps you from crumbling. That keeps you from falling. So what is this passage, this beautiful passage, that I didn't preach very short after all? But that's okay. What does it teach us? How does it equip us for the now and as we enter a new year? When the trials come, when the heaviness comes, the perspective is don't overestimate your ability, don't overstate your situation, and don't underestimate God. You got it? The promise that you can hold on to, God controls the extent of what you're facing. He'll provide an escape from it, and He will endure you through it. And the pattern that you need to avoid, it was the pattern that Israel fell into, it's a pattern that the Corinthians could fall into, the pattern is this, worshiping at the altar of self, rather than worshiping at the altar of God. Check your motivation, check your heart as to whether or not you want in all things to give God glory. Faith family, I don't know if today you're in that situation Uh, If you're not, I've got some great news for you. It's going to happen. I mean, I look out and some of you have lived enough years, I'm not pointing fingers, to know that in 2019, it's not a matter of if, it's when and how big will they be. And the question for us today is how do we know we'll get through? How do we know that we'll get through? Here's the answer. Because God has written a letter to you. And in it, he has promised your perseverance. And 10 years from now, you may not be able to look back and see it. 
50 years from now, you may not be able to look back and see it. But one day, Christian, in eternity, you will be able to look back on your life and know this, that just as Jesus endured through Friday night and came out the other side, so did you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this wonderful passage, the wonderful promise that we have. And I, I pray it is a tremendous source of strength and encouragement and hope. Uh, even today, I mean, we talk about a new year, we, we need this today. But as we enter in a time where everybody's thinking about a, a new slate and, and new things that are to come, I pray that we would hold on to this truth. Um, that it really would be an anchor of hope in our life. And if there's somebody here today and they don't know Jesus, well, then they don't have this hope, this truth. And I pray that today would be that day that they would turn from their sin and look to Christ alone for salvation. Thank you for your promise. Thank you that your promise is as good as you. And that's really, really good. For God is faithful. And God's people said, amen. Amen.